have to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grinch, Michael Biden. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. As you can see, my face is a little bit sunburned today. For those watching on video and not listening, I'm in Jupiter, Florida, where the weather has been exquisite these past few days. But I understand in the Northeast it's been a little bit rainy, so I'm heading back there tomorrow. Not because it's raining, just because that's where I live. And uh, just took a short little vacation. And I did put some sunblock on my face, but I have that light Irish skin that uh, the sun just busts right through it and gives me a sunburn. So enough of that. You don't want to hear any more about me. I don't know how many of you watched last night's episode of New York Homicide. Uh, I was on it uh, with... Um, Detective Pat Porteous, Lieutenant Dennis Churns on a case that occurred December 1st, 2001. And the thing that was made that so unique was that was right after 9-11. September was, of course, excuse me. Yes, September was 9-11, 9-11-01. And December 1st, 01, we woke up in the 2-3 precinct that the crime business was back in business on that December 1st where we had four homicides in one day in the 2-3 precinct. And the one covered last night on New York Homicide, Carmen Quinones and Ruben Frederick, was one of those cases. Occurred 22 years ago. Yet, I'll always remember that case as if it was yesterday. Very emotional case. Uh, a lot of outstanding work being done by the best detectives in this world. The detectives from the NYPD. And at the end of it, Three people, well, two were sentenced to life without parole, and one, a cooperating witness, got 23 years to life. So it was very satisfying. If you want to watch it, you can go on the New York Homicide website, and you can watch the case. Uh, you can watch the whole hour on the computer and not have to watch it on TV. Otherwise, I'm sure it'll be replayed on the Oxygen Network. But I was... Uh, very pleased with how it came out. You're not always pleased. You know, they interviewed me for about four hours and I was thinking, oh, they're going to cut this down to nothing. And actually I had a lot of FaceTime. <laughs> so I was pretty happy with it. So again, if you get a chance to watch it, you can go on the New York Homicide website or I'm sure it'll be on Oxygen Network. They'll replay it again at another time. So tonight's episode really, um, Ruby Frankie. Jody Hildebrandt, who will cut a deal first? Who's worse? Who's the worst person out of those two? And you know something that I didn't include in the title? There's actually a third person that could be looking to cut a deal in this horrific case. And I know you guys know who I'm talking about. Yeah, that would be Kevin Frankie, the husband of Ruby Frankie. And I've said this before, I think he's going to be running 
right to his attorney. And as soon as there's any inkling that he potentially could be charged, I think he's going to be looking. He's going to be the first one to turn evidence. He's going to be the first one to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to jail for this. I had nothing to do with this. And of course, now he's talking about all kinds of uh, all kinds of loyalty and all kinds of not, never cut a deal, never turn on my wife. Wait till you see the inside of a jail cell. And even worse, wait till you are threatened with the inside of a prison cell. And guess what? He'll sing like a parakeet. Yes, to save his own butt, he will start to sing. And in my opinion right now, from what I can see, he is the least culpable, culpable, excuse me, culpable, culpable of these three. So he has everything to win and not that much to lose. So you're going to see his attorney and his attorney is um, uh, Randy Kester is the attorney for Kevin Frankie. You're going to see that attorney start to show up and start talking and singing a different tune because once the prosecutor sees the evidence, uh, I think that um, Kevin Frankie is going to flip. And what if he doesn't flip? What if I'm wrong and the district attorney just doesn't include him? Who out of Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrandt who do you think of, of those two is going to flip? Who do you think? I'll tell you one thing right now. If I was the prosecutor, I would not even consider, not even consider Jody Hildebrandt a deal for her. No way on this earth would I think consider of giving Jody Hildebrandt a deal. So who does that leave? That leaves Ruby Frankie. And you know what Ruby Frankie's defense is going to be? Come on, guys. I got some smart people in the chat. What her defense is going to be? What do you think? Come on, guys. What is it? She was brainwashed by her therapist. She was under the spell. She was under the power. She was under the manipulation of Jody Hildebrandt. That the attorney, I can see the attorney cooking, at the, cooking that defense up right now. He's got a big pot, and he's stirring it, and he's saying, wait a minute. Here's how we get out of this. When I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying she's going to totally beat it, but she may minimize her culpability because that's going to be her defense. Wait a minute. I was brainwashed. You could see. You could see all the people coming forth testifying against Jody Hildebrandt of what a nasty, mean, evil person she was. So then how could you discount that when it comes to me? Well, Ruby Frankie, a lot of what you did is on videotape, is on your podcast, was on YouTube. So if you can convince the district attorney that you were brainwashed, I don't know. Or if you can convince a jury 
or if your attorney can convince a jury that you were brainwashed, then maybe, maybe you have a shot. Otherwise, what is the chance that Jody Hildebrandt will claim what, how could she cut a deal? What could she possibly say that would make a district attorney say, you're right. Ruby Frankie's the, the wronged one here. She made you do this, not the other way around. Her manipulation and her skills as a speaker, you could see she had 2 million subscribers on her YouTube. She must have came to you and just totally manipulated you. I don't see that. I don't see Jody Hildebrandt getting cut any deal whatsoever. And I would be interested to see or hear what is her defense attorney's plan for this? How is he going to weave a defense for this woman who lost her license? There was a while ago, I think it was almost 10 years ago, it was in 2012, lost her license to practice to, as a therapist. But then it was given back to her. And just very recently, she surrendered her license. So think of all the people that Jody Hildebrandt has wronged. And you think any district attorney, anyone in their right mind is going to cut her a deal? Nah, I think not, guys. I think that there is no deal for Jody for Jody Hildebrandt. I think the possibility of a deal for Ruby Frankie is very slim. I think the possibility for Kevin Frankie, yeah, is the most obvious. I'm going to play this from Lauren Crime. Yeah, Terry, this morning we were expecting to see both Hildebrand and Frankie here at the Washington County Courthouse in St. George. It was expected to be a bail hearing, but just hours before that hearing began, we were told by officials that it had been postponed. Just in the past hour, I spoke with Douglas Terry, and he's the attorney for Jody Hildebrand. I asked him why this hearing was postponed, and he said because of copious amounts of evidence in this case, there's just too much to go through. Originally, though, the hearing was expected to be a bail hearing. So Judge John Walton would have determined whether Hildebrandt, Frankie, or both were eligible for bail. And if they were and it was posted, they could have been released as early as this afternoon. However, they're still being held at the Washington County Jail because this hearing never happened. Also at the hearing expected today, it was possible that Judge John Walton would have set a preliminary hearing date. And that, of course, would be to determine whether there's enough probable cause to move forward in this case. But there was speculation that there would be pushback in that end of things because the prosecution was asking for more time. That's what's interesting is that this hearing was postponed because of all of the information. Now, I mentioned that I spoke with a Terry, who is the attorney for Hildebrand, I asked him why this hearing was uh, postponed and whether he wanted to speak on camera. And what he told me is he was uncomfortable speaking on camera because he still didn't know that much about the case, which really goes to show you the amount of 
evidence that we have here. Three weeks ago is when they were arrested. Terry, you spoke about it just moments ago when that 12-year-old boy broke free just about 20 minutes away from where we are right now. So that's been about three weeks that both sides have had to go through all of this evidence. It just goes to show you just how much there is in this case. As of right now, there's no official hearing date set for the future, but the motion that was filed stipulated that it should be set after October 5th. So that's almost three weeks away from right now, but still no official date set. Well, that's all very interesting. I do want to ask you just a couple of questions. If they actually did not go for the hearing today, do you think that they will try to get another bail hearing? Maybe, obviously, they will go straight to the preliminary hearing, but I'm sure that their attorneys want them to be out of the you know, jail at the moment. I would think, and of course this is speculation, but that Hildebrandt and Frankie aren't used to the conditions that they would have in a county jail and would assume that both of them are hoping to be eligible for bail. So I would think that defense attorneys at this time are pushing for a hearing like that so that their clients could potentially be released. But when I spoke to Terry just moments ago, he didn't make any mention of that. Exactly, all right. And the other issue I was wondering about is everyone was expecting this bail hearing. Were there a lot of spectators out there? What happened to them? It looks a little bit quiet behind you. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up. Right now, there isn't much action here at the courthouse, but I arrived at about 8 o'clock Mountain Time this morning, and that was several hours before the hearing at 11 o'clock. Already, there were people who were inside, a handful of people from different stations, networks, reporters, but also a handful of local people who have been following the case and even knew about the Frankie and Hildebrandt situation prior to the arrest, back when it was eight passengers on the YouTube page or whether it was Jody Hildebrandt and the connections um, videos that she made with Frankie. So there is a lot of local interest in this case, and people were planning to sit in on the hearing. Okay, we will be with you, Sierra. Thank you. You know, folks, some of you are asking, um, is there involvement by Kevin Frankie and how um, how is that ascertained? Well, up until 14 months ago, he was a willing participant in all of Ruby Frankie's, and he's the husband of all of her videos on YouTube. And the videos publicly displayed what was going on. The, the, the videos publicly displayed how her children were being treated. So th this is not anything new. So evidence against Kevin Frankie? You bet. You bet. And the evidence is in the videos. You know, uh, it's how he could now say, look, I, I have a lot to say about Kevin Frankie. I can't understand how a dad, how a husband can stay away from his children for 13, 14 months without reaching out to them at all and fully knowing what was going on within his family. And he stays away. Is that, is that a strong man, first of all? I'll answer that. No, it's not. And I've said numerous times, if that was me, I'd be fighting tooth and nail to see my kids. Jeff M. from, from the chat, if the prosecution tells Jody's camp we're pushing for a 10-year minimum sentence if she's found guilty, and they offer Jody, say, eight years if she pleases out, then I think she takes the deal. 
You know, Jeff, um, we are so uh, far away from that, but I just think that at this point, perhaps they would entertain, a defense attorney would entertain a meeting with the district attorney. Well, what do you have? Show me what you have evidentiary-wise and talk to me about what you're looking to, what type of sentence you're looking to go to if we go to trial and get convicted after trial. And if it's a huge sentence and the, this, and the defense attorney says, well, say, for example, my client would be willing to cooperate and testify against this probably will never happen because how much worse is Jody Hildebrandt than Ruby Frankie? Is she that much worse? As I said, the deal to be cut is Kevin Frankie and not uh, not Ruby, not Ruby. Kevin Frankie is the one who is going to be offered a deal, and no doubt in my mind, and. Other than that, I do not see Ruby Frankie uh, being offered a deal. And I see her as the lesser of two evils. I think the most evil in this whole situation is Jody Hildebrandt. Uh, anyone agree with me or anyone disagree with me in the chat? Mel Stiller says they're both absolute monsters. Well, Mel, yeah, I think you're probably right, but I think the lesser monster, <laughs> the lesser of two monsters would be uh, Ruby Frankie. In my opinion, when you watch some of what has happened with other people coming forward, uh, I see that. Uh, for and on, I don't know how to pronounce, sure for and on. There is still so much more to come out. My heart goes out to these kids and all those couples she split up. Thank you so much for the $6.99 super sticker, and thank you so much for your comments. I take each and every one of your comments from the chat as important and knowledgeable because you guys have been following this case. Uh, Sarah Keach, I think Kevin's only defense is that he travels around studying earthquakes for his BYU job. You know, that's another thing, Sarah Keach, is that this whole community, BYU, is uh, plugged into the Mormon community. And even potentially his job is dependent on what happens in this case. Scary, right? Very scary. You know that you also probably have seen my sister Bonnie's video. I was about to post a video yesterday or today and just couldn't bring myself to do it. I even This is the sister, one of the sisters of Ruby Frankie. Let's see what she says about her older sister. Trying to gather my thoughts for several weeks and I don't think I'm ever going to have my thoughts completely put together here because it's it's involved so many people. There's so many little details. I am not going to be a news update. I will not update you on news. I will not give all of the little nitty gritty details. I don't even, I know I don't need to sit here and defend myself. I know I don't need to go into the history of what has happened. Um, so we'll see where this goes and how much I get into, but the past few weeks have been extremely hard. 
not only did all that happen with Ruby, but I had just moved to a new state and Landon had to go back to Utah to finish up his dissertation for his degree. And so I've been settling into a new home with the kids without his help and all of this fell down. So I literally have not had the physical or emotional capacity to address anyone, nor do I need to address anyone. But here we are. Three years ago, Ruby, everything was great. It seemed to be fine anyway. We were a typical family. She was getting some therapy counseling because their family needed it, which I think is great. However, I think you need to get it from a great source. Read the reviews. Jody Hildebrandt and her website or therapy style, I don't know what you want to call it, connections, was not a great resource. And we all saw it. We all felt weird about Imagine needing therapy. You legitimately need therapy. And your therapist turns out to be Jody Hildebrand. Could you imagine that? Like, wouldn't no therapy be better than that than bad therapy? Um, the answer to that, I think, is yes. I mean, how could that at all help you? It, it, it's going to hurt you. There's no doubt it's going to hurt. This Jody lady, we didn't, we weren't comfortable with it. We didn't like it. We didn't like the teachings Ruby was bringing to the family functions. And we were this close to telling her, if you come to our family events anymore, we do not want to hear what you were learning through connections because we don't like it. We never did say that to her, but we thought it. Um, Anyway, so three years ago, Ruby and I... They probably didn't say anything to her because they were terrified of her because she was plugged in with the church. The church was referring clients to her. The church supported how and what she was teaching. So the family of, of uh, Ruby Frankie has a sister... They were a little bit cowardly here. They wouldn't confront this woman that obviously, yeah, uh, Marianne uh, Knapp, they were afraid of the repercussions, 100%. Uh, Jeff, am I said that because I feel like that is the only option in this case for her if there was ever to be any sort of quote deal for her. Someone in the chat before I saw said, why would you consider... Uh, Ruby Frankie, the lesser of two evils between her and Jody Hildebrand. It's just because I see uh, Ruby Frankie as evil. I see her as bad, but I don't, for some reason, see her. She wasn't the teacher. She wasn't the therapist. She wasn't the person that was molding people's minds or rather mind control. So in that sense of the word, I see... Uh, Jody Hildebrandt to be much worse. We hung out bottling tomatoes, and then a few weeks later, crap hit the fan, and she left the family. And she didn't even call me to say, hey, you know, Julie, you're doing this and this. I don't like it. You're living your life in distortion, so I'm going to have to take some time away from you. No, literally nothing. She did call my mom and yelled at my mom on the phone for 45 minutes and accused her of things that were not true. It was almost as if Ruby had been making up memories from her childhood. She was trying to grab at anything she could, and she would exaggerate on everything. So she started all of her lies back then, lying to everyone in her life, getting rid of all of her friends and family, and 
I literally had no contact with her. She wouldn't respond to any texts or emails over the um, time that I tried reaching out to her, never got a response from her. So I was very fortunate to have been able to reach out to her daughter, Sherry, once she was an adult and we were able to form a really close, strong relationship. You know, to me, even the sisters, they're missing something. They almost seem Stepford Wive-esque, if you guys understand what I'm talking about. They seem like robotic in the way they speak, almost like they've been brainwashed. Does anyone else see that, or am I the only one that sees that? Samantha Mustard McDowell, pathological liar. Uh, yeah, I, I just see a lot of weird stuff here, Marianne Napier. You said weird. I see that I see some brainwashing and some cultish behavior just in the way she speaks. Or and it was then that I learned more about Ruby and it was then that Sherry had learned about lies that had been told to her. I feel like me and my other sisters have said we feel like we've just been kind of floating on a cloud here the, these past few weeks. It we are in complete shock still as to what she had done because we had no idea of what was happening. I f I find that they're in complete shock to be an absolute lie. All right. There's been so many people that have made complaints about this. So many people have reported this to the authorities, and her sister is in shock. I don't. The word shock is an overused word. You know. Because I think it takes a great deal to put anyone to say, oh, I'm shocked. To shock us in this 21st century, you know, takes a lot. Takes a great deal to say you're shocked. You know, uh, Donna Wheeler, every time I hear the word distortion, I want to scream, Donna, I 100% agree with you. That's one of those words like agency, right? Uh, these words that they use. Uh, Julio Reagan, yes, they're being manipulated too. Um, Missy Blue, Ruby got tired of all of the phone calls to CPS. And she found a way to continue making money on YouTube by booking up with Jody. Jody is the bigger monster, but Ruby is just as bad. Missy Blue, yeah, I, I mean, I think if, you know, in my opinion, the lesser is Ruby Frankie, and I think the, the more culpable is Jody Hildebrandt. And again, you know, we're, we're splitting hairs here. I think in the end of this, both of them are going to prison, you know. Now, the title of this episode, you know, was basically, well, what, um, who's going to cut the deal? You know, there's the flyer. Judy Hildebrandt or Ruby Frankie, who will cut the deal first? And to the very right, I have a picture of Kevin Frankie. And I think the answer to this is Kevin Frankie's going to cut a deal so as not to be charged because he is chargeable, folks. He is 100% chargeable. So on the screen there is the evil one, the real evil one, Jody Hildebrandt. But many of you guys feel that right next to her there, Ruby Frankie is just as culpable. And look at this three, 
million, three and a half million dollar house that sort of engenders calm and success and love and someone that worked really hard to get something. And it turned out to be the opposite of that. Um, so yes, um, we will have to wait and see. There's some interesting things right now about, of course, bail. This is the first time I saw lawyers not pushing for their clients to get out of jail right away. Is that not unusual? That they weren't fighting tooth and nail to get their clients? They were like, whoa, maybe we ought to keep them in there for a little bit and let me do a little research on this case and find out what the hell's going on because I, I don't want them out there. Jeff M., as crazy as it sounds, I guess if a person wants to be a master manipulator of other people, then what other field to get into than psychology? So was she always like this? Jeff M., psychology, or guess what else? Religion. Yeah, yeah. You want to manipulate people? A lot of preachers are great psychologists, or they know the art of using psychology. And yes, even sales. Even sales and guilt. What better than guilt? What better way to get someone to do what you want them to do than to inflict guilt on that person. Isn't that the way a master manipulator does things? Uh, RV, unpopular opinion, but I don't think Kevin will be charged with anything. He was not around for over a year and bad parenting rarely gets a day in court if the abuse is not physical. Well, RV, that is why I think Kevin, Frankie, is absolutely 100% culpable. However, I believe that he is the weak link and he is going to be cut a deal. He is absolutely, uh, a deal will be cut and he's the one that's going to get it. So uh, he is culpable though. He is 100% culpable. Let me go back to the sister. Basically. I'm here to, to say that I had no idea what was happening. Like Bonnie mentioned in her video, we are not going to let Ruby destroy another thing in our lives. We have our platforms where we try and bring brightness and positivity into other people's lives. And that is why we didn't talk about Ruby in our content for the past three years. Yeah, we try and show the highs and lows of everyday family and parenting, but Ruby's topic was not supposed to be part of that content and it was none of your business it was nothing that we needed to talk about and i wasn't sure if her kids were maybe still watching these videos and i didn't want to be not tactful and slander their mom and then have them watch those videos that didn't sound like a nice thing to do either and so that is another reason why we didn't talk about the subject of ruby for the past few years on my channel However, as far as my platforms go, I do want to continue them, but the content will probably look a little bit different. I have some pre-recorded videos before all of this fell apart that I will be posting. And then after those videos, I will probably just shift my content a little bit and it'll be a little different, but I will still be here posting probably once a week. And She is more concerned about her channel then she is about her sister. Then she is about her sister's children. She's more concerned about her YouTube channel. Oh, if this could negatively affect my YouTube channel, 
Oh, no. I want nothing. I'm changing it all up. I'm doing different videos. I'm not going to be talking about parenting anymore. Is, is that a little bit weird? I, I think a lot bit weird. Instead of twice a week like I had been. Um, and I hope you guys stick around. Those followers who have been following me for years saw past all of this. You were here to support and love no matter what. The people who came here to my comment section with negativity and attack were probably people that didn't even know who we were. And so I know not to take offense to all of that, even though it was still really hard to see and hear all of the negativity. So if you have been a longtime viewer and you have stuck around, thank you so much for your love and support. And if you are new to my channel, welcome. I'm your your love and support um and the pictures of dead presidents on those green pieces of paper that you that you sent me that's what i'm mostly concerned about but i i can pretend it's about your love and support so that i think says a lot you see her sister she seems very cult-like in my opinion you know and were all of these are all of these YouTube shows that are teaching parenting from a religious perspective? Are they all cult-like like this? It seems like it was that way to me. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the search warrants that they uncovered and what they were looking for in these search warrants. And it's not any really, it's not really any different than what. Almost any case would be looking for in a search warrant. You'll see here on 2 News, a saga that's gained national attention. YouTuber Ruby Frankie and her business partner Jody Hildebrand are behind bars face, facing multiple counts of child abuse. And this is coming after they were both arrested in Washington County on August 30th. We do have team coverage for you tonight. As we go in depth, criminal defense attorney Sky Lazaro is joining us in studio tonight. Daniel Woodruff spoke with Utah Governor Spencer Cox today to get his reaction. First, though, Paul Nelson explains why some legal analysts say Jody Hildebrandt's phone could be a, quote, treasure trove. And that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, uh, this attorney that we spoke with actually said that cell phones usually give prosecutors gigabytes worth of data, uh, voicemail, text messages, pictures, videos, social media posts. And he believes that the more evidence comes out, the more likely it is that Hildebrandt and Frankie will cut ties with each other. For former Salt Lake County prosecutor Nathan Evershed, cell phones have been, in his words, treasure troves of evidence, even when the accused thought they got rid of it. Come to find out. It's all still there and it's all embedded. He says there's nothing more compelling to a jury than pictures of a child who has been harmed. And if there is anything that shows Jody Hildebrandt tried to erase those kinds of pictures from her phone, that would likely lead to additional charges. If there's evidence on there that she has deleted text messages uh, or photographs or videos or anything material to an investigation, that would be evidence of obstruction of justice, which in this case would be a second degree felony. We reached out to the Washington County Attorney's Office and asked, how is the cell phone that was seized being processed? And given the evidence you have now, do you believe more charges will be filed? We did not receive a response to those questions. Hildebrandt and Frankie are both charged with child abuse as co-defendants, but Evershed says it's common for co-defendants to claim they did not know what the other was doing. And he expects that to happen in this case also. These two are probably going to be pointing fingers at each other to try to step away from their own complicity from it. But he said, but you know something, folks, that I covered this before. 
Of course, Ruby Frankie will be pointing a finger at Jody Hildebrandt and vice versa. But who is the most culpable here? We have so many people coming out of the woodwork pointing fingers at Jody Hildebrandt about what a monster she was as a therapist, how she broke up marriages instead of kept them together, how she used techniques that had nothing to do with social work or psychology, but rather almost torturous techniques that she must have got from some you know, mind control faction because it definitely wasn't kind and loving social work, psychology, family therapy, counseling. It had nothing to do with any of that. What it was, was mind control and hatred. Says there's one major flaw in that strategy. He says GPS data and cell phone tower records might show Frankie and Hildebrandt were in constant contact with each other. So neither would be able to claim they didn't know about the alleged abuse. If you can show by tracking, by the, by the cell phones, by the GPS, by the cell towers, that they're in fact in close proximity with each other for days at a time. That's a really tough thing for them to overcome. Now, Evershed also says that uh, these text messages very frequently, they can show an accused person's intent, whether they intended to cause somebody harm or not. And he also believes that as this evidence does come out, that, it, that both of them not only will start pointing fingers at each other, but it could show that both of them are equally culpable for the alleged abuse, no matter which one carried it out. Reporting live, Paul Nelson. So, folks, again, uh, like we said, someone in this case, and it's not going to be Frankie, and it's not going to be Jody Hildebrandt. So I teased you a little bit with the thumbnail for this, this episode. But the person who's going to be looking to cut a deal, or who the district attorney may allow to cut a deal, it's going to be Kevin Frankie, the husband. And I know a lot of you folks feel, oh, well, he was estranged from her. He's been out of the house for 14 months. Does that absolve him on past acts? No, it does not. There's no statute of limitations or, on what he could be charged with. I mean, there is a statute of limitations, but it, based on what he could be charged with, the statute of limitations will not be anywhere close to being up in, in that caper. So, again, he is, is going to be the deal cutter here. He's going to be the person, not the persons you see on the screen there. He will be the person, if there is going to be a person to cut a deal, it will be him. Uh, you know, I want to show another. This is a, uh, a client of... Um, of Jody Hildebrandt, uh, a past client who now is, he wants to talk and he wants to put his story out there. And this is quite scary. And her planning out all this stuff, talking about what the real issues in our marriage were, and then them evolving that into something drastically different with allegations that would totally destroy your life. And, and how that evolution happened from what they originally were like is, is just astounding. I had to come forward because when I heard that they were doing the same thing to those little kids that they did to me to hide their crimes, it was totally predictable. And I, I knew my records would just 
completely show the world the truth of how dangerous this lady really is. And and clients that are close to her that that are probably not really good people in the first place, but that she enhances their abilities under her uh, under her guidance to do incredibly criminal things. Adam claims that Jody Hildebrandt conspired with his then wife to accuse him of sexually abusing their child. I never had the courage. You know, that has to be, of course, if not true, has to be the worst allegation anyone could make against a person, a false allegation, I'm saying, of, of, of SA, has to be the worst. Just think of a person having to try to prove themselves innocent from that. And I'm talking about, look, there's people that are guilty of that, but in this instance, he was not. And someone making an allegation of that, I don't think there's any worse thing that someone could do. A false allegation of that is just can destroy someone's life. To talk about this openly, because the damage was so bad after Jody and my ex-wife got done trying to make me look like a child abuser and a sexual addict and a rapist and everything else, having been a victim that came forward to change the laws to protect children and having the insecurities that victims have, the stigma and all that stuff, and Jody working on me to try to make me look like I was a predator uh, in her final stage when I refused to pay all the money and refused to stay in the group and was so uncomfortable with it. What they did to me the coordinated attack to create the solution and all the stuff. I have all the documentation and these fine, I mean, I even Jody coaching my ex-wife in fine. I, I'll, I'll share that in this other interview, the exact words as she coaches her through how to make people think that they're coming up with the idea themselves. Uh, when they're, when she's trying to contort people's minds into thinking that they're had been abuse and violence. And when you start to see this evidence of what the real issues were, what Jody's agenda was, how she went about it, and the documentation for it, these, these people will be hung. Uh, I mean, the game's over. And these little kids that, you know, that they're accusing of abuse, sexual abuse right now, to, to hide their crimes, that's just an old MO. And, and so I'll be what Ruby said it. in court that day about one of her children sexually abusing other children and then people in the neighborhood, you're saying that's the same thing that Jody tried to do to you. Well, not just to me, to probably hundreds of people. And there's going to be so many victims coming forward with the same story. A story that if you told it on your own by yourself, everyone would think you're weird and creepy. But when 100 people come forward and tell the exact same story, and that's why Jody's trying to, they're trying to act sick and speed up the hearing, is they don't want this complicated thing to, material, to materialize mm -hmm. and then show this incredible crime. Adam Steed said he went to counseling sessions with Jody Hildebrandt for six months, and then he stopped. He described a rigidity in Hildebrandt's counseling style. For example, Steed claims Hildebrandt became upset 
if men looked at something like the swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated, likening it to pornography. That is absolutely sick, right? Someone looking at the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and likening that to pornography. First of all, if someone does view pornography, does that make them evil? Does that make them sick? Does that make them a sexual deviant? Is there, I'm trying to understand this, but yet Jody Hildebrandt was, uh, was trying to sell this? Uh, I don't think so. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. And if you want to financially assist us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels. And you see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube family, our YouTube friends, and they really uh, help us out. I also want to shout out to Kim Alliston. Uh, one of our great mods are always here, always helping, always waving that police off the cuff flag. And I really appreciate her, as well as the Pranzos, Pete Pranzo and Richella Pranzo, always here. Just want to say how much I appreciate all you guys. Oh, and all you folks, you members, you channel members, all you folks that just watch and are, are subscribers. I really appreciate that. Joan. Check her referral network, kickback per referral, billing when she has custody of the client's children, fraudulent business, house is like a fortress. Why did Jody lose custody of her own kids? That's another investigation, and I don't specifically know the answer to that, but she seems like she has a bit of a spotty pest, the fact that she lost her license to uh, practice therapy. That, I think, says a lot. Uh, let me play, get back to this. Once he tried to leave her counseling session, Steed said things got ugly. She uh, was just contacting, like she didn't want me to leave her therapy group. And she had my wife send an email message to me of the terms so that the marriage wouldn't end. And included that I had to go back to Jody. I had to pay for, it was thousands of dollars a month. That uh, I couldn't go to any other therapist. I was trying to go to other therapists because they were saying I was an addict in denial. And, you know, it was just crazy. Jody in her group, she said that if you had to spend time not thinking about something, just the fact that you had to not think about it meant you were an addict. I mean, she, she brought everybody in. And now she was saying I was mentally unhealthy and I, I couldn't choose for myself because of how unhealthy I was. I couldn't choose to go to another therapist. This was this was my addiction working to not receive the confrontation that she had. And, you know, um, she just, uh, oh, y'all, this is just so hard to talk about. Like I'm trying to give a condensed quick version without sharing all these traumatic files that are the, the complete evidence of who this lady is and what she is. And, and, but like the short version, um, she wouldn't let me leave therapy. Adam Steed says Jody Hildebrandt violated his trust when she shared information about his counseling sessions without his permission. 
Documents we obtained from the state of Utah show Hildebrandt's license was suspended for a time in 2012 and that she admitted to discussing a John Doe's clinical diagnosis without his permission with clergy and two other mental health therapists. The documents also say that Hildebrandt admitted to doing this and that she also shared information with administrators at the John Doe's University. Steed says he is the John Doe listed in these documents. Currently, Jody Hildebrandt's counseling license is listed as active. Adam Steed says he believes more people will come forward with stories about Jody Hildebrandt. I just want to say that to any victims out there that have had their lives destroyed by Jody Hildebrandt or, uh, you know, any kind of any of this kind of stuff, I, I just want you to know that you need to have courage and come forward and talk about it. Uh, you're not alone and it's super traumatic, but if you talk about it after a while, the trauma will go away and you will live in a much more beautiful life for you and your family and your children and for everybody in the future. And, and I'm now actually pretty happy other than just sharing this like re-traumatized, terrible, dark chapter of, of, of life that happened. And the world needs to know it because they're doing, Jody Hildebrand's doing the same thing right now with these kids that she did to me. That's it. You know, you can even hear in, um, I believe his name is Adam Steed, the gentleman that was just uh, on the on the screen. You can even hear in his voice how upset and how bothered and how his life was just uh, turns upside down through this woman. And uh, who is backing her up? Who is uh, Ivan? Noni. Steve must sue the Mormon church. Hope he can be okay in the future. These people destroyed his life. Uh, I think so. Clarabella breaks my heart. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, Samantha Mustard McDowell, I hope and pray that the children get the help and support they need to overcome this horrendous abuse. Yes, it's... Um, you know, now it's in the, in the uh, hands of of the courts and we're going to see this wind through the criminal justice system. And we always say the hands of the criminal justice system turn slowly. And that happens to be the truth. This is going to talk about Jody Hildebrand recently surrendering her license to practice as a therapist. Now the eight passengers case uh, against Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand, Jody Hildebrand, Ruby Frankie's business partner has voluntarily rescinded her license to practice as a clinical mental health counselor in the state of Utah. This is the exact document she signed. So I'm going to go through it a little bit, but mostly the most important thing that you need to know uh, is that by signing this, she agrees that her license to practice as a clinical mental health counselor in the state of Utah shall immediately be limited, meaning that the respondent shall not practice as a clinical mental health counselor in any way or manner until the allegations underlying the arrest and charges described above have been resolved. So we're talking about those uh, being arrested on the suspicion of aggravated child abuse, of course, back on August 31st. This case is far from over. Now, I do want to point out that this does not mean she admits any wrongdoing. However, instead, what it means is that by signing this, and you can see her signature right here, she is actually voluntarily letting her license go until the case 
has been resolved, at which point, if she is found not guilty, she could become an active mental health counselor again. Now, this was signed by the Department of Professional Licensing, Doppel. So this is public record now. We're working to get more from Doppel as we speak. Of course, uh, this is an ongoing investigation and something the state of Utah and beyond is captivated to continue watching. Stick with Fox 13 for all of the latest on this case. So interesting. That just lets us know right now, while her case is pending, she has surrendered her license. I think that would be, um, if she didn't surrender surrender her license, I believe they would have pulled her license. Uh, you might ask the mere allegations. Can that make you, a, can they force you to surrender your license? And I believe they can. Uh, because... Would it be okay if you had allegations, again, and you're not convicted, so in our system, uh, you're innocent to proven guilty. However, no one has a right to have a license as a therapist. That's a privilege. You pass a test, you have certain uh, credentials, educational credentials, training, hours of training. So can they, and can they, and did they pull her license? They didn't. She surrendered it, but would they have? Yes, I believe they would have. You know, they also, this was, I played this a couple of times, and Jody Hildebrand had a, uh, has a niece, her name is Jessie, and she alleges some horrific treatment uh, by Jody Hildebrand. I'm going to play a little bit of this, and I think you've probably seen this on some other channels, but she certainly is, she's pretty damn articulate, and the story she tells is quite... Uh, Quite disturbing. Uh, severe isolation. I experienced severe emotional, spiritual, and psychological abuse. I experienced um, the being told I, I, I shouldn't be around other people, being told that I was dangerous to be around. Um, I was, people were afraid of me to the point where I was afraid of myself. Um, I was physically, I was, I was forced to sleep outside in the snow. I was, um, like I said, isolated for up to 12 hours a day. Um, if I, if someone wanted, if someone spoke to me directly, if I wasn't wearing duct tape on my mouth, um, I had to just stare at them. What, what, if she wasn't wearing duct tape on her mouth, does that strike anyone as upsetting? It just went boom, went by and everyone, whoa. If she wasn't wearing duct tape on her mouth, is that a normal way to treat a child? Duct tape on the mouth? I don't think so. And not respond because she also had systems of people that would re report back to her if I broke any of these rules. Um, and her whole thing, which is deeply, darkly ironic is that everything is stems from shame and how how horrible shame is and that all of the reason like all of mental illness all um tics so like ocds addiction everything stems from shame um which is just horrifying because she is the greatest uh perpetuator of shame um folks remember before i spoke about guilt how guilt is used and abused, of course. Guilt is used to get people to do things 
that they perhaps don't want to do. And the person in power inflicts guilt on the person. Isn't this, isn't shame sort of in the same category as inflicting guilt, inflicting shame? Isn't that sort of the same thing? Isn't you a, um, a mind control device? So inflicting guilt, inflicting shame. And how about self-worth by making someone feel less than human? Isn't that a way people exert power over others? I think all those things were being used. Shame, shame. What are you, what are you ashamed of? And how does someone have the power over you to inflict shame or inflict guilt? Just think of that. Is that is that a therapist? Is that a loving, nurturing therapist? I don't think so. She also, and this is like a, a very deep connection and why I chose to come forward to the media rather than just staying with the podcast. Um, she accused me of being a sex addict. She accused me of being uh, addicted to masturbation to the point where I wasn't allowed to, I, I mentioned this on the podcast, to the point where I wasn't allowed to use tampons. Um, I never was allowed privacy unless I was isolated. So that included the bathroom. I was never allowed to have the door closed because she was convinced that I was just constantly masturbating. She was convinced that I was addicted to porn. Um, I had never seen porn at that point in my life. I, I'd never, I didn't even know that people with <laughs> my anatomy could masturbate. Like I, I had no idea any of this stuff, but I just believed her because she, everything like one, she used religion and God as a mode of control um, and a, a mode to manipulate. And so I just believed all of these things. So her ability to convince you of these uh, neuroticisms and um, these behaviors is, and I was a teenager. And so a child in that position of being told this over and over and over and over again, which I'm certain he was, um, stood no chance. She also, because of what the, like the abuse and torturing that was going on and the, the belief that she had that I was doing something more. So her rationale to the severity of these punishments and this physical and emotional abuse was she wanted to make my life, and this is like her quote, like this is what she would tell me all of the time. She wanted to make my life so uncomfortable that it would force the sin out, that it would force me to confess. So things continuously got worse and worse and progressively more and more intense as a way to get me to confess because she believed that if I had confessed everything, if every all of my sins were out and in the open, that I would be getting better. And I was declining like very fast exponentially and um so she just kept ramping it up and so to hear ruby tell the world that her child is a sex addict a predator and has been addicted to porn since he was three years old it just echoes exactly the things that she was telling me and telling everyone around me um and i know that i i've, I've i think if i got i don't know if i got this right but i'm pretty sure that She's saying that he even confessed to it. Well, I also confessed to things that I didn't do as a way of trying to get the abuse to stop. Because when you when she's like drilling it into you both 
psychologically and physically that there's more and it will stop once you tell her because that's what that's what she would tell you like in the middle of the abuse she'd be like I'll stop as soon as you tell me as soon as you tell me what's going on like what you did oh she was also convinced that I had had abortions she was a convinced I went she made me do 12 step because she was convinced I was an addict like a drug addict as well I'd never done drugs I'd never had sex Again, I didn't know that masturbation was even possible. I had no idea what these things were. Um, so I would start, I just started making things up as a way as like. How damaging is a therapist like Jody Hildebrandt to a child? She was a child when she first was uh, confronted by her aunt or her aunt was her therapist. How damaging do you think it was to her? I mean, you can see she's all tatted up. That could be just a big sign of rebellion. Now I'm free. Now I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. But all of these allegations against her that were meant to shame, again, shame her, guilt her, shame her, some of the things she didn't even know about. That's why, you know, and I've spoken before in this channel, the elephant in the room is the church that was supporting this, that was encouraging this, that was directing clients to Jody Hildebrandt. What will their culpability be in this case? Or if any, will law enforcement, will the district attorney's office have the nerve to widen this net? Let's widen this net before we start pulling it in. Because there's more people involved, more people who should be charged. There is no doubt. Colleen! All of the victims of Jody should sue a class action suit, take a $3 million house for her lawyers, get the money. Well, I can guarantee you the lawyers are going to get paid. You know, uh, will she be civilly sued after all of this? I think there is a an excellent chance of that, that she will uh, be civilly sued. But you know something? That's the strange thing about also a criminal prosecution uh, can make the defendant, if they have means to pay the attorneys, can make them broke because it goes on so long and attorneys get paid big dollars, as we all know. So if victims sue her civilly, what will be left? Although if she's a therapist, she's required to have malpractice insurance. So I'm sure if she's state licensed, she has to be insured. So if these people do come forward and they do um, they do sue, then uh, there's a good chance that uh, she could wind up having to pay in, in a civil lawsuit. Folks, if you're looking for a good attorney in a New York City metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe's a retired member of the service, a retired NYPD police officer, and an outstanding defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718-514-3855. Email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. 
or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Not only is Joe Murray an outstanding defense attorney, he's a huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast, and he's been supporting us for many years now. I want to hear... Um, I want to hear from Kevin Frankie's attorney, who apparently, when um, Ruby Frankie was arrested, she frantically called her husband, who apparently she wasn't dealing with for 14 months. So let's play a little of this here. Lee shocked? Absolutely shocked. Where was he when he, he found was- out about this? He, he was at work. And how did he find out? He found out on the news. Did someone call him? He got a call from Ruby. He got a call from Ruby Frankie. Correct. You mean while she was, after she was arrested? Uh, before. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, she had heard uh, uh, what was going on and uh, knew they were coming for her and uh, called him and said, this is an emergency, even though she hadn't, she hadn't reached out to him for months and months and months before that. Uh, she reached out to him when it was an emergency, knowing she could rely on him to help his kids. So in other words, you're saying she knew the police were coming to arrest her. She calls Kevin to say, take care of the kids. How did she know the police were coming? Because again, the reporting indicates is that her son I had escaped that house and called and went to a neighbor, and that's when the authorities were alerted. Do, do you know how she knew they were they were coming? I would never want to predict anything that she might know. I, I, Kevin doesn't know. He doesn't know. I don't know how she knew what was going down. All he knows is he got a text from her that said, emergency, need to speak with you. He was at work and uh, text back and said, I'm at work. Uh, what's up? And she said, I need to speak to you immediately. And then they spoke on the phone. Correct. And that's when she told him. Well, actually, I think most of it was, yeah, they did speak on the phone. So they spoke on the phone. And and when she told him that the police were coming, what did he say? She, She actually didn't say that. She just said, you need to get down here. Need to get down here. And Mm -hmm. what did he say about that? He, he said down where? And when she told him that she was in Ivan's, he responded and said, what are you doing in Ivan's? And was told, she then told him that the kids were down there. Some of the, you know, folks, I find it hard to believe that for 14 months, he's been out of this marriage and Ruby Frankie and her kids were staying with Jody Hildebrandt at a house in Ivan's, Utah. And Kevin Frankie was totally shocked by that news. I find that negligence on his part. How did you not know where your kids were living? How did you not know where your kids were staying? So I don't buy this. Either the attorney's not telling the truth, or I find it ridiculously hard to believe that Kevin Frankie didn't know this. The kids were down there and he needed to come down. And uh, he, he said, well, how long have you been in Ivan's? He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't even told that she had taken the kids to Ivan's. Let, let me unpack that a little bit. So first of all, 
their current status, were they separated? Correct. They were separated, I read, for 13 months. So they weren't living with each other. How much was he seeing the kids? Uh, almost not at all. Actually, not at all. What, why he is told, that? If it, why is that? I guess almost not at all is not at all when he thinks about it. Almost not at all. Well, uh, well, well not at all. Okay, uh, uh, let's get the story straight. Because she told him it was better uh, that they needed to work on their marriage and needed to keep their family together, but that everything was better off with him not in the home and not communicating with the children. If you can, why were they separated? What was the catalyst? Oh, I probably shouldn't go into that. That's that's pretty private. Mm -hmm. But let's just say they were uh, they had a difference of opinion about their family. Parenting? I know you can't talk about it, but is it that kind of where we're going? Correct. Okay. So let me and, again and their so, own and their own personal dynamic. Okay. Um, so he was living separate from her. Was he calling the kids? Because I think what a lot of people are looking at this and they're wondering, well, what did he know? So he might have been living separately from her for 13 months, but he wasn't calling the kids, checking in on the kids, seeing how they're doing. He's the father. I totally understand that. That was the big question on my mind and the big question I, on a lot of people. If you read everything that's in the media, he's getting raked over the coals for that. But what? people don't understand is that he was trying to preserve his marriage. He was taking direction from her. She's the one who asked him. Boom, boom, boom. He's taking direction from her. And her direction is you don't see the kids for 14 months. You don't get to talk to them. You don't get to call. He's taking direction from her. What type of weak man is this that would take direction from obviously a dysfunctional situation. That's why, I don't know, this attorney is either just making this shit up as he goes, or he's not doing a very good job of telling this story. ...to leave the house and indicating that in order for him to be able to get back together with her and be a family, that uh, she was requesting that he leave the home and that he not contact them or the children later told him that everything was blissful at home. It was so much better without him. Did he ever believe that the kids were in danger? Did he ever believe that Ruby might have been doing something to the kids? He had nothing to indicate that. So again, I know you're... But you know something? He was on this podcast for years. How did he not see that? How did he not see it when he was part of the podcast? So... I find that hard to believe. He saw nothing. He has nothing, sees nothing, knows nothing. Months and uh, kind of coming out of a fog. So in other words, he was completely taken off guard by these allegations, completely shocked? Absolutely shocked. Where was he, he when he, he found was, out about this? He, he was at work. And how did he find out? He found out on the news. Did someone call him? About their family. Parenting? I know you can't talk about it, but is it that kind of where? But what people don't understand is that he was trying to preserve his marriage. He was taking direction from her. She's the one who asked him to leave. 
amazing he's he's taking direction and it was his desire to be able to get back with the family and uh, preserve his marriage so he was taking direction from her and her direction was it's so much better off and i think we can salvage our marriage if you just for now don't have communication with the kids and i will communicate with you i'll reach out to you when we need to have communication and even though they had a difference of opinion possibly about parenting that never gave him a concern to hey you know what maybe i should check in because if it seemed like it was a big enough issue for them to separate it didn't seem like an issue for him to check in on kevin never had any reason to believe that his children were being abused if he had even one inkling that his kids were being abused and that this separation wasn't for any other purpose than to figure out a way between he and ruby to reunite their family he would have been down there in two seconds. But folks, he knew that she was involved with Jody Hildebrandt. Isn't that right there? Knowing that your wife and your children are in a bad situation. I find it not believable that it was an aha moment that he found out that Ruby and the children were living in Ivan's, Utah at the home of Jody Hildebrand. I find that hard to believe that he was, he just found that, that out. He was shocked. He was shocked to hear that. He was so shocked to hear that they were living there. Shocking. Currently, he had no idea. He had no idea. He had no idea that this was going on. No, the physical abuse had never been a part of their family. But a lot of the dynamics between he and his wife changed after uh, Jody Hildebrand uh, partnered up with Ruby. Let's talk about that for a second. First of all, before I get into Jody, do Kevin, your client, and Ruby, do, have they been talking at all while she's in jail? The last conversation they had was uh, last Friday. And that's when, during that conversation is when he came to, kind of came to his senses about how he'd been manipulated and deceived. Are you saying he and confronted that, her about these allegations? To some degree. I, I don't know the entire contents of the conversation, but him, his discussion with me was that uh, during that conversation, things were said that made him realize how he'd been deceived and misled. And, and as I told you earlier, he didn't even know the kids were in Ivan's. You, you just said that he knew that he, that, excuse me, that. You know, folks, isn't that negligence in itself, the fact that he didn't know where his kids were living? How could you know what's going on in your kids' lives? How could you know whether or not they're being treated properly if you don't know where they are? You don't know what roof they're living under, who they're living with. How could he then be shocked that any of this was occurring? And how could he just come to this realization that, oh, I was being manipulated? Really? And it took you 14 months of not seeing your children, not knowing where your children live, not talking to your children to realize this, that you were being manipulated and you're shocked. Remember I talked about the word shocked? Uh, Melissa Martin, Kevin could have found as another marriage therapist and presented him her to Ruby as a choice instead of evil Jody. But Melissa, obviously, uh, Ruby Frankie, had some kind of relationship with Jody Hildebrandt. 
she liked her as a therapist. She liked her as a business partner. So that wouldn't be so easy just to have them break up their partnership. Uh, Ruby and Jody were working together. Um, Correct. So he was, how was he that shocked if he knew that, you know, they were working together and maybe she had brought the kids with him? I mean, did he not think that perhaps uh, Ruby had taken the kids to Jody's house? Typically, she would tell him something like that, but she didn't. She didn't. They, they, she'd have the kids down there from about late May, I think maybe June, until this all came about. And he did. she didn't tell him one thing about taking the kids to I find this attorney um, not believable. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I find his his stories to be um, really hard to believe, extremely hard to believe. I don't know if any of you guys agree, but uh, I just can't believe uh, he's shocked about this. He's shocked about that. Everything's shocking, you know. Um, you know, just just unbelievable that everything is shocking. Kevin Frankie doesn't know anything. And uh, he just found out last week. He hasn't been around for 14 months, never inquired to where his kids were for 14 months. And then he found out they were in Ivan's. He's shocked. So shocked. And then when law and law and crime asks a follow-up question, all of a sudden the attorney really doesn't know what to say. So it's, uh, it's so shocking. 12-year-old emaciated son broke free. But when first responders arrived on the scene inside this home, they found a panic room. He says it's a large room. It's a panic room. A shocking revelation made by first responders who were called to Jody Hildebrand's home back in August. After a young boy escaped from the home and ran to a neighbor for help, investigators found a panic room inside. Hey, LT, there's a panic room inside the garage downstairs underneath the garage. Radio recordings from the Santa Clara Ivins Police Department captured the dramatic moments when the room is discovered. He says it's a large room, it's a panic room. First responders were called to the home in southern Utah on August 30th after a harrowing 911 call came into police. This kid has obviously been... I think he's been... He's been detained. He's been, he's obviously covered in wounds. The caller told first responders a 12-year-old boy arrived at his front door, emaciated and asking for food and water. Investigators later determined the boy was the son of Ruby Frankie, the YouTuber mom who became popular from her eight passengers YouTube page. For a time, Frankie documented the lives of her family, including her husband, Kevin, and six children to the more than two million subscribers. Her YouTube page has since been deactivated. Eve has been amazingly well-behaved for being in town. Why you like... yelled at me? <laughs> Shh. That is the phoniest cover-up laugh I think I've ever heard in my life. And when she laughs, I see a lot of evilness in her face. You know, it's that phony <laughs> laugh. And talk about body language. Talk about your face giving you away. Talking about how to talking about how to read a person like a book. It's all over her face. Ha ha ha. The fact that I yell at my kids is a secret. 
we don't want our viewers to know that never happens in my house. Look at that. Look at that face. You telling me that that's not the face of an evil person. Yeah, I think it is. I never yell. Investigators say Frankie's 12-year-old was found emaciated last month with open wounds and duct tape around his wrists and ankles. They say he crawled out of a window of this home owned by Jody Hildebrandt, Ruby Frankie's business partner. Our whole life's goal is to make our kids happy. And most of the time we're trying to make our kids happy. What we're actually doing is being in distortion and inviting them into a... There she goes using that word distortion again. <laughs> being in distortion. I've never heard a therapist use that word distortion before. Controlling dynamic. Both Hildebrand and Frankie were arrested and eventually charged with six counts of aggravated child abuse each. They were set to appear at a bail hearing this week, but hours before the hearing, it was continued. Right now, they're still being held in the Washington County Jail in southern Utah. In all, four of Frankie's children were taken to the Department of Child and Family Services after the 12-year-old escaped. Per the recording of first responder audio, it's possible the other children were being held in the panic room. Temple, we've got it, but we can't get into it. My guess is that would be where they're at. First responders say a large Fort Knox vault door led to the room with a wheel on the front. Yeah, he says it's kind of it's downstairs and it's underneath one of the garages, and he's calling it a safe room. He says he said something about Fort Knox, so I don't know if it has a Fort Knox door or safe on it. But that's what he's talking about. This one says Liberty Safe Company. It's got a big wheel on the front. Long Crime Network reached out to the Santa Clara Ivins Police Department for more information about the rescue and that panic room. But we're told that no new information or details could be released as the investigation is still ongoing. Reporting in Ivins, Utah, Sierra Gillespie, Long Crime Network. Interesting, folks. You know, very interesting. So... What the whole gist of this episode was, was that someone in this group of people on the screen right now, excluding the person on the bottom left, who is me, <laughs> me, and I have to admit that picture's about at least 10 or 12 years old. <laughs> I'm a lot younger there. Anyway, that doesn't matter. The people we see here, Ruby Frankie, Jody Hildebrandt, and Kevin Frankie, the whole gist of this episode was who will cut a deal first? And in my humble opinion, I think it will be Kevin Frankie. And some may say, oh, he's not culpable. He didn't do anything. Trust me, he has some culpability in this. And I think they will try to get him to testify against Jody Hildebrandt against his wife. And believe me, to save his own Batinsky, he will do so. He will do that. He will testify against whoever he needs to. Uh, Elaine McKenzie, that SOB is take talking in word salad, aka narcissist language. They talk an infusing way to gaslight the victim. Yes. Uh, Marianne Knapp, where did they rescue the other children from this room? Well, that, you know, some people would call um, uh, call that a safe room. Um, some homes do have that in the event of uh, 
a security breach at a home, you can go into this room and you could uh, stay away from whoever has breached your security. Um, so, Momo Shark. Oh no, I saw 666 on the thumbs up and quickly hit the button. Um, Kevin moved to another residence so we would not have been in the same congregation as his children. I, I, you know, guys, I don't know if some of the things you are saying are true. Uh, Donna Manzaris, Ruby, Jody, and Kevin discussing people. Where is Chad? I don't know who Chad is. Is it possible both will get off and all charges dropped? Callie Hastings, I sincerely doubt that. You know, this case is had a light shined on it. It's out there in the world. Many people know about this outside the Mormon community, outside the Utah community. The world has seen this. The world has watched these YouTubes. The world knows all about Jody Hildebrandt now. So when you say, is there a chance that they won't be, or they'll get off, I don't see it. What kind of mother would continually post the lives of her children on YouTube? Those poor kids, I just want to hug them all and promise nothing will ever harm them ever again. Well, thank you, Patricia Siebold. Folks, that's our show for this evening. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope we raised some good questions that maybe we will find out answers to, maybe we won't. But the important thing about learning things and shining a spotlight on things is to discuss it and put it out there so that we know what the heck's going on here. Folks from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories, I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. Have a great night, everybody, and God bless. One episode, just